G'day and welcome to Roaming with Lil. My name is Lil Deverell. I'm an orientation and mobility specialist, usually based in Melbourne, but currently living in Tasmania. I'm interested in anything to do with functional vision, orientation and mobility, and the research that helps us to do our job better. Today I'm talking with Robert Yearsley, who is CEO of ARIA Research. Now, Robert contacted me in 2021 because ARIA Research is developing some novel assistive technology for people who are blind. And Robert's keen to use the ROOM and OMO tools as an outcome measure. Now, you might be aware that I'm a technophobe with a few number problems. So it's rather bizarre that I operate in the world of assistive technology research. First investigating bionic vision during my PhD, then mobile phone apps, and now sensory substitution technologies. I've been working with an O&M research team at Swinburne University since 2016, and we recently published a couple of papers on the use of technology by O&M professionals and by O&M clients. We found that most of the specialist gadgets used by O&M clients 10 years ago, 20 years ago, have now been superseded by the everyday smartphone. Clients identified 108 apps that they used to support their orientation and mobility. In comparison, O&M professionals were lagging behind in their IT skills. I confess I am one of those laggards. Yesterday, I went from chipper and cheerful to a blubbering wreck within 30 seconds when I phoned the Telstra helpline and tried to navigate their automated menu. I'm trying to be a big brave girl and during COVID I've managed to adjust my IT status from complete technophobe to just techno wary. I'm learning to take group selfies with my mobile phone without dropping it. Zoom is my friend. I'm learning to make movies. I'm learning to use G Drive and one day I might even learn to use the remote control for the telly. So After that great big introduction, hello, Robert. Hi, Lil. How are you? I'm thriving, thanks. Now, Robert, tell us about you. I'm involved with uh, developing assistive tech. I'm based in Sydney, working with uh, a few interesting partners like University of Sydney and UTS, uh, Guide Dogs Australia and uh, World Access for the Blind. Robert, what on earth is ARIA? ARIA is an acronym for Augmented Reality in Audio. What that means is that ARIA is a smart glass device. It looks like a pair of sunglasses. It connects via a USB-C cable to a smartphone. And what the glasses do is use machine vision systems uh, to actually map the user's immediate environment and sonify it. Basically turn the visual experience into an oral one. ARIA is quite unique in that we figured out how to make that oral display immediately accessible and obvious. In our early experiments where we've been uh, working with blind ARIA users, we're seeing pretty much immediate utility, like in the first first 30 to 60 seconds. We're talking about object identification, proprioception, collision avoidance, wayfinding, all these fundamental bits and pieces that assistive tech's been struggling with for the past 20 or 30 years. We're really excited because as crude as our system currently is, it's getting results which strongly hints that the approach that we're taking, which is what we call a sensory augmentation approach. So this is the augmented reality part. 
we are leveraging off the user's existing biology and awareness and layering a synthetic element into it. So we're just enhancing what you already do. Unless you have severe hearing impairment, you've probably got pretty decent spatial hearing and you've likely had a lifetime of listening to things around you. We all have. Plus, we've got eons of evolution and biology around how we listen to the environment. So ARIA just really leverages off this innate human ability and lived experience to actually insert extra information into the environment that technically isn't there, but is in the visual field. It doesn't only make a sound, but we can actually do that now. Robert, your goals for ARIA sound quite audacious. What's to stop ARIA landing in the technology graveyard along with so many other devices? What is the ARIA difference? I'd say it isn't a feature or, or a product. I think it's the approach. So we've done a lot of study looking at why assistive tech fails. And you're right. Uh, a lot of these things focus on one specific use case. So they have limited utility. And with limited utility, you force the user to do more planning ahead of time to decide whether that the device is useful or not. And we're all human. So we make a trade off and go, is the benefit of me digging this thing out of the cupboard helpful in the circumstance or just stick to what I know? And at that point, you've already lost the battle as a vendor or a creative assistive tech, unless it is that compelling that uh, they're making the choice to actually use it. I think that assistive tech generally hasn't been adventurous enough in trying to solve more fundamental issues. The temptation is to take a piece of technology or you know some new capability and wrap it into usually a fairly poorly understood need. I think where ARIA is different is that we are aiming for a fundamental shift in agency and independence, and that is a very high bar, no doubt about it. And in, in going after that goal, you've got to think more fundamentally about what you're providing, which means that you're talking about broad utility across almost all circumstances throughout all the day. And that is a few orders of magnitude more complex to, to achieve than, than most assistive tech are aiming for. The goals are very similar to that of, for instance, a bionic eye, but this isn't about vision restoration. It's about making the experience of blindness way more livable. We view this as trying to solve a hundred little problems throughout the day. And these are practical things like making lunch or, you know, I'm, I'm planning a trip or where's the damn TV, right? All this stuff, just life which means smoothing out the hard bits. It means taking stuff that can be solved and solving it uh, so you can just get through your day with less friction, less difficulty, improved grace and more speed. Fabulous. We have a shot at actually building something that's useful pretty much all the time under most conditions. And that's a major head shift in thinking about assistive tech. Fundamental human need needs a fundamental human-centric solution. It's a lot harder. It's a lot bigger. But the payoff is massive if we get it right. So yeah, we think we're on the right path to provide you know good utility almost all the time. If that utility is working for people with low vision or blindness, it might well work for a broader population as well as an augmented reality that people with full vision might be able to access. That is true. We're kind of surprised by this. Uh, we've had a lot of approaches of perfectly well-sighted people saying, I'd like this extra sense. And like, I'm like, why? Why would you want this? The answer is pretty simple. Uh, as humans, we're, we're pretty hungry for information. Uh, we like to know more and we, we love to extend our ability. That's just not something specific to, to people living with vision disability. That, that's kind of insight right there. It isn't just about solving 
a problem that's about extension of capability, which are very different things. Previous technologies, such as the mini guide, use sonic bounce back. Some technologies are using laser. You mentioned machine learning. Mm-hmm. Now, that seems to be a different function to convert camera vision into a soundscape. What is machine learning and how does that work in this context? Yep. So machine learning is really interesting. You've probably heard about AI, AI a lot in the last five years, but the vast majority of AI and the, the, the core application of AI at the moment is typically machine vision. It's just pattern recognition. It's matching against a previously known thing. I mean, you can throw one of these algorithms, a picture, pictures of 10,000 cats, it gets good at picking out cats. It doesn't know what a cat is, but it does pattern recognition. Now, this is widely applied in machine vision models uh, that are commonly used day in, day out uh, with a bunch of different applications. Things like uh, Apple Photos and Google Photos and stuff will recognize, you know, family, family, friends and faces. You tag those people, it'll pick those people up again so it can make nice little montages and stuff. Uh, this is a pretty common technology uh, and pretty mature. So how this fits in with assistive tech and blind assistive tech in particular is quite interesting because... If you go down this route, you unlock semantic information. So what you're talking about, Lil, with things like what they call time of flight sensors, they're range finders, essentially, whether that is ultrasonic sensor or you know a LIDAR or even a basic laser, they're bouncing the signal out and they're picking up the reflection, which gives you good distance information. They can be real time. Uh, they're pretty simple, but also for an expert user with a mini guide, really powerful. The issue, however, is there's no semantic information about what's being received. It's just distance. And this is similar also to echolocation. Now, what's interesting about echolocation versus just range finding is there's a whole bunch of information coming back at you. So it's a difference between a single ping about the distance of one area versus information about the whole environment all at once. So you're talking about a topography. Uh, and that's why echolocation has been proven to be, for people who can master it, an extremely powerful tool. You can actually identify what an object is at a distance just because you get used to the signal and you can verify it because you walk up and reach out hand. Oh, that is a car. Oh, that is a tree. And you very quickly learn by this process. But there is a steep learning curve to actually get there. And it's even steeper with something like a mini guide because you've got to swing that thing around and start learning about your environment. Some people are really curious and are willing to, 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 to stick at it to get good value out of it. Uh, and I know a few of those people who are expert, but for the majority of people, it falls into the too hard basket. There's a massive investment uh, and you've got to work hard. Where I think machine learning can be really interesting uh, in this application is that the machine itself, machine vision system, the AI system, can do some of the heavy lifting here. It can identify what you're looking at uh, and translate that as a key component in telling you what and where things are. And that's what ARIA does. I'm not going to go too much into detail because we've got a lot of stuff under wraps, but fundamentally we take advantage of that capability uh, to actually rapidly build a very detailed spatial, not a picture, but a spatial uh, immersion for the user. And that makes ARIA very, very powerful. Once again, watch this space. first question I asked when I thought about building ARIA, why does assistive tech fail? There's a number of reasons. Some of it has to do with the motivations of why people build this stuff in the space in the first place. And there is the best of intentions universally across the board. But you have to look at who's building the tech and for what reason. And the vast majority of these projects tend to be 
uh, spun out late stage PhD project or, or postdoctorate uh, involvement, et cetera, from a university. So there's a limited amount of time that can be spent on exploring an idea. And invariably what happens is the, the young researcher says to the supervisor, what should I focus on? The supervisor says, just pick one element and just prove that out, which immediately negates asking of deeper questions and actually delivery of a broader solution. So you get this repeating pattern, like every three or four months of a new assistive tech popping up to the, uh, the, the blind, visually disabled community. And it tends to be a flash in the pan. It pops up, everyone gets excited. Here's a solution to blindness. And then 12 months later, it's gone. And this has had a, quite a detrimental effect to the whole approach around assistive tech over the years, because I think the community has been conditioned for disappointment. And I think that there has been a growing sense of cynicism in this field as well, and rightly so. If all you observe is failure and half-baked efforts, you tend to come to expect that. So addressing this challenge of actually how to approach uh, vision impairment uh, and the community was really key, which brought a very quickly ARIA research into a conversation with uh, a gentleman by the name of Daniel Kish, who has been absolutely successful in the blind community around assistive technology. It just happens to be a, a technique rather than a gadget of some sort. Daniel, uh, through his organization, World Access for the Blind, has basically led the way around what the goals around assistive tech typically are, which are, you know, enable agency and independence, freedom of movement, and easier connection with the world around us. There's no actual gadget involved with what he does, which is human-based echolocation. Where he has absolutely succeeded is in uh, solving the key issues around how to actually perform the training, how to engage people in how to learn this technique and best utilize it uh, for themselves. So you know, absolutely phenomenal stuff. So yeah, absolutely, there's a graveyard out there. I haven't actually addressed how Ari is dealing with this. I've just pointed at the problem, but I'm probably giving you the, the listener here a hint that Ari is really deeply engaged with the blind community because we aren't just designing for the blind community. This is actually being designed by the blind community. We've got several key engineers who, who are blind who are also engineers developing the technology. And this is an incredibly important step in ARIA's approach, and it's paying huge dividends because I, I'm a sighted guy. I cannot possibly ever understand what it's like to be blind. It's just a fact. The vast majority of researchers and engineers, you know, who are going to be involved with ARIA as well, have this disadvantage. We don't have this insight. We don't know what it's like to, to live with this every day. So having this insight inside the tent, so to speak, having this influence around not only knowledge, but ability to actually execute and see a solution evolve is absolutely key to our approach. Some people call it design thinking. I think it's just mostly common sense that if you're serious about building a solution, you need to absolutely engage the customer. Beyond that, if you can't directly understand or, or properly empathize with the, the nitty gritty, the minutiae of the problems that are faced, you need to have those people designing the solution. And that's what ARIA is doing. Can you give us a progress report on ARIA research and development from the seed of the idea through to having a commercially saleable item? Mm -hmm. How far through the process are we? Yeah, we're just moving from proof of concept through to prototyping. And that has taken about two and a half years of hard work uh, to get to this point. The seed of the idea was probably four or five years ago. I'm a consumer electronics and software nut. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big geek. 
and I'm going to build some AR glasses. Uh, the problem with AR glasses is that the displays and the graphics technology uh, required to run this sort of stuff just isn't there yet. Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, sorry, Meta, they're all working in this space. It's the next generation. Basically, what comes after the smartphone, that's their bet. And I want to be involved, but the displays are an issue. So steering to ARIA, I noticed that there is a, a more immediate application for augmented reality than general sighted consumers. Uh, the utility delta is far greater to you know, help someone spatially understand their environment if you're blind versus if you're sighted. And that really got me excited thinking about this problem. The issue being, however, is how do you get the sighted world into a format that works for someone who has no sight? The upshot of that is you don't need the displays and the glasses, so the whole thing becomes more realistic in the near-term prospect. The issue then becomes, how can you make it useful? And I always got and solved this problem. So we managed to prove this out in the last few years. We've got several completely blind users using the device daily. So they use it for wayfinding, around the house to find their stuff. People move things around. They live in a, a family environment that always happens. Where people are, where you know, the cars are around you, you know, the tree branch here, the bin there, all that sort of stuff. Proven to work pretty well. So we managed to actually pitch this to the Australian government. Uh, we managed to pick up some fairly significant grant funding. We found a Medical Futures Fund uh, grant to help build up this prototype. And also we've won a cooperative research centre project, which has enabled us to engage with University of Sydney and also UTS and basically build up a really significant research translation team. By mid-year, there's going to be about 30 researchers working on the soundscape, looking at things like cognitive load, machine vision systems, et cetera. And there's going to be about a two and a half, three-year project to nail down some of the fundamental science as to what's going on here and help evolve ARIA as a medical device so we can get through the clinical trials. We've shown informally that the device works, that there's actually real benefit. We're satisfied that that's the case. Now it's time to prove how, how it happens. But there'll be trade-offs. We don't fully understand those yet. So what we're doing right now is getting into doing early trials with blind users who might be interested about the technology. So this is being administered by University of Sydney and UTS. And there's a research team who are gearing up to do clinical trials over the coming two years. And they just started that in the last few weeks, which is really exciting. So we've had blind users in the laboratory and we've been measuring and testing them, poking them, prodding them, but we also give them tin tamps. That's, that's important. No, I'm joking. We, we really need their input, we really need their insights. And this is so, we're working with these research scientists, these you know, professors and academics have been looking at this theoretically for several years. And to stick a blind user in that environment, oh man, it's fantastic to see that these very smart people, their minds being blown because their, their understanding is advancing so quickly into this problem space. And that's what really excites me about at ARIA at this point is that we can bring together people with lived experience and, and insight with some great minds. It's an absolute joy to be involved. So you're working with world experts in all kinds of aspects of this development of assistive technology but it's people with little or no vision who are the experts at living without vision mm -hmm. and it sounds to me Robert like you you're not working just with tech aficionados and tech oh no experts. all they all they do is confirm our own biases that, that's <laughs> the issue they'll just tell us what we already know and we go oh aren't we smart that's that's, but, a, that's a terrible way to actually build a good piece of tech yeah <laughs> ARIA is actually looking for participants in the research who aren't just an add-on 
to give the stamp of approval to something already developed. You're looking for people with real orientation and mobility needs, people with real lifestyle needs. You're looking for people to put up their hand to be part of the development process, not just the testing process down the other end. Yeah, we call it co-design. It's absolutely critical to delivering something that's useful to people. I know it sounds bloody obvious, but it really happens. If you're going to make a practical difference to people's lives and create something that's worthy of them actually, you know, ticking this on their face every day, you better have actually solved problems that are practical to every day. For instance, I'll rattle off five or six that have popped up consistently. Like I put my cane under the bench uh, for a meeting and someone's kind of moved it. And, you know, I really don't want to be griping around on the floor. So I keep track of my cane. A uh, similar one is that uh, one of our, our machine vision engineers who's blind, he's like, you know, I like my Marlboro and my wife keeps hiding my cigarettes. I'd really like to keep track of my cigarettes. Thank you very much. Another one of our co-design folks who's involved, you know, 35 years old, he says, I've got two kids. I can always hear them scream. I can always hear them fight. I can never hear them smile. And that just got me. I thought, well, I... <laughs> This happens to me all the time. I really don't understand the problem I'm trying to solve here. And that insight to say, look, machine vision, which could read the expression of a smile on someone's face and articulate that, what kind of smile, who's smiling, where are they? And share that with the user. Wow, that, that's a home run. That's real value right there. And we wouldn't have these insights if we hadn't sat down and just let people talk about what they really want. Uh, and this is a sharing process. And we can tell you the capabilities of the technology, but you need to tell us what you really want. And we can quickly start to figure out how we can integrate all this stuff. So IREA Research is looking for the contribution of people who are blind in lots of different ways. The first thing is if you're interested, then put up your hand and get in contact with IREA Research and get your name on the contact list. We're looking at running Zoom groups or interest groups for conversation between people who are blind about the problems that commonly arise and what the development of the device might be targeted to address. We're certainly looking for people who are New South Wales based who are free to come in and participate in research sessions. And these are not by way of testing a, a prototype so much as testing ideas and giving active feedback in the development of, of the technology and working with the, the scientists to shape their ideas and target them in the right direction. Then towards the end of 2022 and 2023, we're looking at more formal testing of prototypes, other ways that people can contribute, Rob? Yeah, yeah. If you're local to Sydney, that's awesome. But if you're not, that's also awesome. If you happen to be from Gundagai or, you know, Fremantle or Launceston, Darwin, doesn't matter. Most of ARIA actually is actually working remotely anyway since the pandemic. It doesn't make much difference to us, but you can always get in the blower. You can always hop on a Zoom call. You can always just pick up the phone and talk to us if you've got an idea or shoot us an email as well. Uh, we need and want input. So I just want to mention again that this we very much embrace the idea that nothing for us without us. This is, I think, by and for the blind community. And this isn't lip service. This is actually being you know, engineered and designed by people with serious uh, engineering and academic and research chops who also just happen to have a vision disability as well. So this insight needs to extend to the broader community. Most people out there don't have a degree in software engineering happen to be blind. 
They're not an expert mathematician. They're not a trained researcher, et cetera. We need the common day-to-day experience if we're actually going to provide decent impact to everyday life. We need everyone to get involved. We are prescriptive. We're not saying it has to happen this way at all. Uh, it's actually very much the opposite. And I think that's a key strength in our areas approaching the problem. And you're not just looking at tech experts. You're looking at people who may be a little bit nervous about technology. Or oh, absolutely. Yeah. Unconvinced about what it might do. You're looking for the cynical. You're looking for the jaded. You're oh, jaded's for- fantastic. I love jaded because they're quite to the point of unambiguous. <laughs> you might also be looking for people who don't have time right now, but are happy to come into the project maybe in 12 months' time when there's something a little bit more shaped that they can test. Yeah, anyone who's interested should go to a website and you can actually just go to, you know, more information on the website. I think there's a link that'll say get involved and you can actually just check the boxes as to your degree of interest from just keep us in the loop when anything interesting is happening to, I want it right now, but things in between, such as you're interested in you know, participating physically in a trial or a focus group, you'll be able to just let us know there really easy. It'll take about a minute. We'll get in contact because we want your input. So the website is ariaresearch.com.au, A-R-I-A research.com.au. That's and it. we'd love to hear from you. Thanks a lot, Lil. Thanks a lot for your time. Yeah, thanks, Robert. Given my laggard status, it feels a bit surreal to throw my lot in again with technology lovers, inventors and early adopters who are part of ARIA research. We're looking for people who are blind, people with ultra-low vision and O&M specialists who are happy to don the blindfold again. Anyone really who wants to partner with us in assistive technology research. We want to learn more about why technology does or doesn't work for you and why devices end up in the technology graveyard. We want to know about the niggly lifestyle challenges when living with low vision or blindness that assistive technology might be able to help you with at home, at work, at play and during travel. We want to hear your ideas. We want to create prototypes and develop and test assistive technology together. If you're interested in joining a monthly Zoom conversation about assistive technology, or if you have some time during 2022 to help test out ARIA technology in Sydney, then get in touch via the website ariaresearch.com.au. I'll leave you to ponder what kinds of sounds enrich your understanding of your travel environment as you keep roaming.